1: Welcome back to Around the 412. We are part of the DK Pittsburgh Sports Podcast Network. I am Tyler. That Smitty, and joining us today is our good friend Hunter Hodes from the Locked On Penguins podcast and the Spun on SI Now. Check out his stuff there. Hunter, what's going on, man? But first, I got to say, I'm back on a two-week hiatus. I was gone on my honeymoon. Unlike other people in Pittsburgh, I did not get fired from my podcast. (laughs) So uh, I'm still here. None of us are fired, but I just thought I'd throw that out there. But Hunter, how are you doing today?
2: I'm doing good, man. Great, great sports day here. You know, the United States is basically all but in the World Cup. The Pittsburgh Penguins, of course, are the first team in the salary cap era to score 11 goals. And um, it's just it is a great sports day. And the weather is starting to get warmer, which means the playoffs are right around the corner.
1: Yeah, I'm in Utah, but it's still like 70 here. So even though I'm a different part of the country, it's definitely warming up, gearing towards those playoffs time. Yeah. Yeah, um, really, yeah. Go ahead, Hunter. You about to yeah, say something I mean, else? You know, it's,
2: it's been a bit colder here the last couple of days, even though it's mainly been seventy to seventy-five this past week down in Richmond. Um, but um,
0: I'm, I- I'm I'm ready, uh, man. I just what a fraud! Not actually in PA, and you're a Penguins and Steelers fan.
2: What is this? Dude, all right, this guy now Tyler can <laughs> fire this guy now because he is just like <laughs> he's just asking for it. What about what, what <laughs> about Tyler? He's in Utah. Yeah, but he started. But did I started you ever live here. in Pittsburgh?
1: I started there. No.
0: All right. See, I have, fa- I have my
2: whole mom's side of the family's from Pittsburgh. I don't want to hear it. Okay. All right.
0: I knew there had to be something. That was actually going to be my next question. If you didn't so that's where the fandom that, so. comes from. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> All right. Well, baseball-wise, which is where we're going to start here, you're a Nationals fan though, so we wanted to talk about the Pirates. However, we're going to try to find a way to tie this in with the Nationals. I don't know that we can because you've actually seen your team win a championship in your lifetime, unlike the two of us. Um <laughs> But, so the big thing with the Pirates, right, is not just Brian Reynolds needing an extension and them going to arbitration over $600,000, uh, but also O'Neal Cruz with the Super 2 role, you know, they could send him down to the minors to preserve a year of service time for him, even though it very clearly looks like he is ready to be the major league shortstop. At the very least, they can move him around a little bit. It's really about having that bat in the lineup. Um so, Tyler, this is going to be mainly for you. Hunter, of course, you can answer. But um, O'Neill Cruz, w- should he be on the major league roster come opening day next week? And will he? Those are two different questions.
1: We know that. Okay. F- first, should he? Absolutely. It is totally ludicrous that he should be sent down to AAA. I don't care if he only spent like a week there last year. It doesn't mm-hmm. matter. He is arguably the best bat in your lineup. Spring training, he's been killing it. This is what we've been expecting. He's been one of the top prospects in the system and in baseball for a long time. And I feel like it is stupid to want to send him down just because of the Super Two rule. And especially as a Pirates fan, like if, if the Pirates want to call some bull BS, I want this is a clean show. <laughs> if the Pirates want to call some BS about getting that extra year of service time. Listen, he's not going to make it to that last year of service time on the Pirates. He's going to be traded in year four, or year five. So what's it really matter if he's going to yeah. be here that if they get that extra year, just use him while you have him to your advantage. He is one of the best players in your system. It makes absolutely no sense for me to send him down. I just think it's c- complete crap to want to send you know, him back down too. because of your super two
0: is before if if Hunter has an opinion on this before that though I if they bring him up right so say that they wait until June when they could do that and still get that year on the back end if he and I'm not saying that he would he'd be obviously have a have a couple months less to do so but say he still wins rookie of the year after doing that (laughs) then that by qualifying to do I I think if if he's a finalist it does then it takes that year off anyway so they would lose that year plus you just kept him away from the fans for a couple months by doing so. So that would be like the most slap in the face thing to happen to the pirates, which is probably why that's, what's going to happen. But, uh, Hunter, on the reverse side of this, and I want to bring up Juan Soto for two different reasons, because I want to tie it to like the Brian Reynolds thing too. up. No. Two different players, obviously. But on the opposite side of this, Juan Soto was kind of fast tracked through the national system, spent very little time in the minors before he got to the majors. And obviously, now I think can make the argument like just approach wise, the way that he, how many pitches he sees, everything. He's one of the best hitters, if not the best overall hitter in the game right now. Um, how do you view this O'Neill Cruz situation? You're, how, how should we view it as a Pirates fan? Um, and then, of course, if you're still waiting on that Juan Soto contract extension as well. What are talks like there?
2: Yeah, I mean, I remember when Soto first came up, and then he just he he mashed home runs right away, and I was like, okay, where did this come from, and can he just stay up here the entire time? And thankfully, Robles was supposed to be the guy. Like, and yeah. Soto passed him. Yeah, he he passed him, um, and, and then some to say the least. I believe this was right after Harper went to Philadelphia, and um, this was the year you know no one really expected anything from Washington, and all of a sudden he comes up. And he just lights the just lights the baseball world on fire, and it's like, yeah, I mean, you can't send this guy down now. And now, he's just, and he was a fixture in the lineup, goes on to help win the World Series. You no, know, if you have a player that's even, I'm not gonna say similar to that because Juan Soto is obviously a very different yeah. player, but you know, even someone that has maybe that potential, I feel like it's in your best interest to. Bring him up. And I know maybe some Pirates fans will maybe tune me out because I don't follow the team. I I definitely understand that. But um, for a team that is definitely no one really expects anything from them this year, Um, the payroll obviously is, you know, that's to say the least um, with Bob Nutting and everything. But, you know, you got to sell something, I think, to the fans.
1: And, and to me, that's the biggest problem. Recently, is the whole Brian Reynolds situation made it so much worse yeah. and made the tension a lot higher. You're you're disagreeing over six hundred thousand dollars of over the best player on your team, and it's not like he's asking for a ton of money four point nine million dollars. That there's when, multiple players when, in the league that wipe their butt with that money. Okay, so you I, got I feel like Roberto Perez it's,
0: making five million behind the plate. Like, like no
1: like, one in the Pirates organization has any sense for what PR is or making the fans any any sort of interested in their baseball team. They have barely any fans left in the city, and they're basically just pissing on everybody else that is still a fan of them. And the, if they send down O'Neill Cruz, to me, that's just doing more of the same thing. I, I don't understand yeah. wanting to wait for him to get to the Super 2 because, let, let's be honest, just like if they gave Brian Reynolds a contract, they can trade him anyway, but at least it would – give the Pirates fans something to be happy happy about. And the same thing with Ono Cruz. They'll probably trade him eventually anyway. So who cares about that extra year? Just get him in the lineup next week whenever it's opening day.
0: From a business standpoint, I can understand wanting to have that extra year, but here's the thing is like at some point, right, you're going to have to start putting precedence on the PR side of things like you already mentioned, putting fans on the side of things. We know that they're not going to be good this year, but give us something to look forward to, something to watch. Watching O'Neal Cruz hit the ball over the fence and be in a rookie of the year race. Yeah, I think that that's something we can get behind. It'd be similar to like watching Brian Reynolds with the terrible Pirates in 2019. It still gave you something to watch as a Pirates fan every single day. You weren't leaving the ballpark until his last at bat. Cutch when the Pirates were bad before they got good. You know, it was something for the team. Or the fans of the team to stick around for and give them something to watch. That's where I'll leave that. I think that he needs to be on here opening day, not just because he's the best option for the team, but also because it gives the fans at least something to watch. Um, Brian Reynolds extension. That's a whole different discussion. Uh, Real quickly, (laughs) do, do we think that he gets an extension in Pittsburgh? Because so I know that like that that's the big question and, and that's the big concern with Pirates fans is they never pay anybody yada 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 and I definitely agree but the thing is typically they do see one contract we saw Kutch get one we saw Marte get one we saw Polanco get one does Brian Reynolds sign a contract in Pittsburgh
1: I don't know because I think the tough thing is where are they at in their rebuilding process as fans we can think of we know where they're at within that mm-hmm. process but they might still think they're in the very beginning of it and if that's yeah. the case I don't think he'll get a contract. I think if he was going to get a contract, it would have been this offseason, at least based off of what he's done in a Pirates uniform. No, and they haven't talked. So that's why I don't think it will happen. I think that within the next two years, Brian Reynolds will not be a Pirate because I think that the fans' mindset of where the Pirates are within their rebuilding process versus where the Pirates organization views that they are is further apart than we think it is.
0: And that's dangerous because, that, like you're saying, that, that 100% makes sense. We had this same conversation on Pirates Fan Forum. It either means, if they're listening to offers on Brian Reynolds, and I'm glad that they're, they haven't traded him yet because it means that they need to be blown away by an offer, um, that either tells you, wow, this package is going to be ridiculous, but at the same time, does it mean that the you know they feel like they're nowhere close to competing, Brian Reynolds can't be the face of the team when they're good again, and it's going to be Key Brian or O'Neill Cruz, uh, because at least – Me seeing the talent and the level that it's at right now, I was hoping we're only like, you know, this year is gonna be bad, hoping to see a competitive team next year, and then by like 2024, they should be pretty good. If they trade Brian Reynolds, that signals to me it's another year or two off from what we thought it was.
1: Yep. I I it's just hard to be a pirates fan and gauge where they're at because we can we can make it up in our mind like what we think. Like you said, we've discussed on this this podcast before When we think the Pirates will start to be competitive, we compared it to the years like 2011, 12, 13, when they that same timeline, but that could be completely thrown off. Maybe this year is their 2010, and we're still like two to three years away from actual contention. Yeah.
0: Hunter, so this is different because we're talking about several hundred million dollars more probably for a guy like Juan Soto when you see some of these con
2: what he turned down, 350 million or something like that. I believe it was a 10 to 12 year 350. That's the biggest contract the Nationals have ever offered. A Imagine
1: having the balls yeah. being a human being <laughs> to turn down a contract for $350 million. That's crazy.
2: So I guess my
0: question to you to try to you know, connect it to the Brian Reynolds Pirate situation as best that I can, because again, we're talking about a difference of several hundred million dollars probably. But do we think that the Nationals end up agreeing to something with Juan Soto? Um, and if so, what kind of ballpark do you
2: think that's in if he's turning down $350 million? Um, they're going to have to pony up more money. Um, before this, the biggest contract that ever offered was Bryce Harper's 300 million one before he went to Philadelphia that had a lot of deferments to recent years. The Lerner family always does that just because, I mean, I wouldn't say it's cheap, but it's, they yeah. don't, they don't like front loading the money, uh, to say mm-hmm. the least. Um. They did the massive contract to Steven Strasburg. I believe that was 240 after his World Series um, heroics. But for Juan, it's probably going to be 400 plus. Um, if he has another great year this year, they might, he may go up to 425 to 450 um, at this point. And, you know, it, he, his agent, Scott Boris, he's going to push him to go to free agency like he does all of his players. Mm-hmm. Um, luckily for the Nationals, they have three years left before Soto can be a free agent, which means, you know, they have three years here to really show him that they can turn this around because, you know, I guess like the pirates, they're also in a phase where I guess they're, and now they're not fully rebuilding, but they're in a, like a mega retool because, you know, there's just, you know, there's not enough talent. I don't think on the roster to win this year, you know, I know there's the expanded playoffs and all that. And, you know, there's a couple of decent hitters on this. Yeah. I can't wait to see what Nelson Cruz does and everything, but you know, I'm not going to make this a national show here. Um, but, you know, it's just – I think it's going to take a couple of years to really build around him to show that they can win. And, you know, the fact that they've already offered him a contract shows that I think they're serious about extending him, um, which is mm-hmm. which is what I want to see, I think, um, in owners for an organization. You know, show that you want to keep your best player long-term. You don't want to try to play hardball with him or something like that. Sure, you know, it's three years down the line. It's going to get more – hectic and more heavy negotiations are going to come but you know this is it's a start which is what I want you know they waited too long with Bryce um, and he left which is whatever he had a great MVP season but you know they're, they're getting a head start on things and I think they're learning from their mistakes um, and that's that's what I do want um, in an ownership group I'm glad that they're able to at least spend a little bit of money um, to, to pay the to actually get a competitive team on the field
1: can't relate
2: uh, <laughs> <laughs> You know, the, the the Nationals payroll it's not you know it's not the Dodgers it ain't the Yankees but it's been it consistent either <laughs> yeah it's been consistent top 10 for mostly the last decade and most of that's just due to them being a really good team um but you know I'll be curious to see what they can do um these next couple of years because you know they are in a similar situation right? I don't think they're going to be that good but you know I think they'll actually have you know, like the will to actually want to pay their best, their best player to stay in the city, because you take him off the team. I'm sorry. Outside of Steven Stronsberg there's really not much else to watch. I'll say that. Or Nelson Cruz right now. I'll say that. Yeah.
1: It'd also be tough to uh, lose uh, Harper and Soto, like back to back, obviously not back to back years, but like, back-to-back star players.
2: They lost Rendon, too, before he went to the yeah. Angels. They lost Ian Desmond. It's just, it's been tough. You know, they offer big contracts, but they all do they do a lot of deferments because they don't like to front-load them. This one, apparently, from what I read, this was a front-loaded contract. And you know, I think Soto's betting on himself. So um, at least they're learning from their mistakes, and they're, they're willing to keep their best player in the fold somehow, some way. All right, well... Great
0: national show. No, i kidding. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, we'll see how things play I'm out. I'm excited Washington for the Pirates as well as National Pittsburgh.
2: Series this year. It's probably going to be more competitive because both teams are probably going to stink. Competitive is one word for it, yeah. And you'll get, to, right. see, you'll get to see Bucko Legend Josh Bell get hit again. So
1: True.
0: Uh, when we come back, we're going to talk about some Penns hockey, something that we can all agree on. Uh, so a team be fun. actually worth a damn. <laughs> Ricard Raquel is a Pittsburgh Penguin. He got his first marker as a Pittsburgh Penguin on Sunday. We're going to talk about that and much more when we come back to Surround the 412 on the DT Pittsburgh Sports Podcast Network. And welcome back to Around the 412 on the DK Pittsburgh Sports Podcast Network. I'm Smitty. That is Tyler. Of course, as we mentioned in segment number one, we are joined by Hunter Hodes, uh, host of the Locked On Penguins, as well as writer. What else do you do? Do you edit stuff? Do you kind of just do everything? Are you Are you just the spun? Is that what you are?
2: Yeah. You know, I took over from my boss, Andrew, you know, shout out to him. You know, he can look for something else. now. no, I'm just... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Uh,
0: but you can find all his stuff. This is the reason that we brought you on the show is to talk about the pens in this middle segment. This is the big portion here. Uh, So let's talk about this. Let's just start right away with Sunday afternoons dominance over the Detroit Red Wings at the hands of the Pittsburgh Penguins. Kind of had everything that we wanted. Uh, Coming off that stinker against the Rangers, we knew that they needed an offensive breakout. They needed to play a complete game. We saw pretty much everything we wanted to see on Sunday, including Ricard Raquel getting his first as a Penguin, Evgeny Malkin, who makes the team worse, scoring a hat trick. I mean, it had everything that you could possibly want as a Pens fan. Where should we start with this game? Well,
2: um, I was told, Smitty, that the team stinks after they lost yep. the game to the New York Rangers, <laughs> I was told that they're frauds and they're not contenders anymore. According to some, yeah, they give up way too many fellows. odd man rushes. According to some very interesting fellows on Penguins Twitter, that can't seem to take one loss. Uh, you know, uh, this team stinks now. But um, what a you know, you make the Pittsburgh Penguins mad. There's going to be consequences, and I think the Detroit Red Wings saw that today. The Penguins are the first team in the salary cap era. To score 11 goals, the last time a team did it was 2003. Washington Capitals, when um, I believe if my memory serves me right, Yarmir Yager was there.
1: So, um, coincidentally enough, the last time the Penguins scored 10 plus was 2003 as well.
0: Wow! And imagine imagine where Yarmir just, Yager just, still playing just hockey. Just a fun fact. Wait a minute.
2: That's always yeah. That that I did not know either. The last time I know they scored 10 game for 2012 flyer series yeah. when Jordan I guess it's had a hack regular night.
1: season, I guess. Yeah.
2: yeah.
1: Because, because it's coincidentally enough last night when I was watching some hockey with my friends, we were looking up like how often, because we were watching that uh Calgary Edmonton game where it was like was what, nine to five. Yeah. Yeah. So we're looking up like how often a year do we think that a, t- a team scores double digit goals? And I said, we said like, it's probably average about one a year. So we looked it up and that's, pretty much the case is like when you look at it it's about one a year and we saw the penguins were in 2003 against the wild or something like that but then the next day they score 11 goals (laughs) and funny how that
2: stuff works i want to know who led i want to know who had the most goals in that game i cannot remember that off the top of my head uh
1: i don't know because that penguins team sucked so yes
2: (laughs) (laughs) to to say the least they were uh, pretty bad, but, you know, you, the me, me, you know metrics-wise, it was kind of an even game if you look at the underlines, yeah, but mm-hmm. the scoreboard will obviously tell you otherwise. The Red Wings' goaltending was absolutely atrocious. I don't know why Jeff Blashill decided to start Nadelkovich two games in a row. Um, I understand, you know, Pickard is not that good, but your team is basically out of the playoff race. What do you have to lose at this point? You don't need to go back to Nadelkovich for the sake of going back to him. Um, that's a Red Wings team that has definitely faded a lot um, as of late, they had a great start. I think they're going in the right direction. Most cider is. Uh, I'm not going to sit here and say he's the next late, Nick Lidstrom, even though at times he certainly looks like it, <laughs> to say the least. But um, that was just pure dominance from the Penguins, and I think showed the hockey world that, you know, this is still a really good team. Um, they're going to come out on Tuesday with blood, I think, against the Rangers. Um, they were motivated to show that, you know, those last two games were not them. To say the least, you know, they still have the inside track right now to go out and get home ice uh, in the Mm -hmm. first try. And also, I believe their magic number, I I was doing looking at some like doing some a little little mental math kind of because, you know, you know, it's that time of year again where we look at magic numbers. And I believe the Penguins magic number is only around 11 or 12 at this point. I think Columbus can only get 100 to 101. And I believe the Islanders can only get up to 101 points if they win all their games. The Penguins are at 90 right now. So I'm pretty sure their magic number is right around 12.
0: Yeah. Okay. So we have, I'm sure, you know, throughout the week, you've talked about Ricard Raquel so much, the acquisition of him uh, and kind of, so through four games here, he's now had to play with three different centers, you uh, seeing time with all of Crosby, Malkin and Carter, uh but this is where we expect him to be where he was playing today. What did you see from him today? What have you have seen from him throughout the course of these four games? uh you know, there's a lot of talk about this being the perfect addition next to Gino and you know if uh if Sunday was any indication, I think that uh, that we hit the nail on the head there. Yeah, I think
2: Gino found his winger <laughs> to say the least uh they've been rotating so many players. Onto his wing, heck, they put Brock McGinn up on there, friend of both yep. the shows, of course. Uh, yeah. I think they had they had Danton Heinen up there um, a few times. Brian Ross has been on there, obviously, a lot more. Evan Rodriguez has been on there. Casper captain when he was really struggling, they just didn't have that actual right fit for him. But now, you know, these last you know few games, and especially on Sunday, um, I think you have Malkin finally has his winger um, for the rest of the season. You know, he has a big knack, I think, for going to the net. I was noticing that a lot. Um, in this game, you know Nadelkovich, I think, robbed him two or three times before he was yep. able to get his first goal as a Penguin. Um, I remember in the Buffalo game a few days ago, he basically one v three the Sabres in overtime and almost had a completely highlight reel goal that would have um, blew the doors off uh, KeyBank Arena to say the least. And I'm sure back in Pittsburgh for all the fans that were watching, um, you know, he's very silky with the puck from what I've watched so far. Um, he's going to score a lot of goals if he keeps this up. Um, I think, and he's also a good playmaker. You know, in that first game, I want to say, I think it was against uh, Columbus. Um, it was his first night of the back-to-back. And mm-hmm. he had that pass at the first shift, that amazing pass to Captain who couldn't finish it. And I was like, wow, um, not only does he have obviously good hands for a goal scorer, you know, he is, he's a good passer too. So I think he's going to be both a good distributor and a good finisher on Evgeny Malkin's line. I you know, think this is exactly what they were looking for. I don't really care about the, the cost to acquire At This point, this is a a move you make when you know you might not have the big three again. Um, it was listen though, before I turn this to Tyler,
0: yeah, uh, that's what I'm saying is like in a seller's market, and it very much was when you looked at the returns that some of the guys were were getting, they didn't give up a first round pick, or even though the Penguins prospect pool stinks, one of their you know top prospects, you know, not Cali Klein could be a very good goaltender, but out of the two that they drafted in 2020. I've talked to more people that are Bloomquist guys as opposed to Cali Klein guys. So, you know, Tyler, I'll turn it to you to talk about Raquel first and foremost, but then I obviously want to touch on on him what I've seen.
1: Oh, I think he's been a great addition. Um like like Hunter was saying, I think Gino found his winger. Uh, and another thing along with the shooting and the playmaking and all that stuff, he's more physical than I thought he would be for a, a player that yeah. Has that skill level? You don't really see the physical side of those guys, and I think especially in this Detroit game, I noticed it. Like he's a very physical player, which honestly, Gino's wingers don't really have that. So maybe that's helping Gino open up some ice as well. um But just to go to the addition or the the acquisition of him, and just touching on what I think of the cost, I, I thought it was a great trade. The cost yeah. itself was not really high at all when's the last time the penguins have traded for someone of that caliber of a player without giving up a first round pick we've traded for players that are much lower caliber players ryan reese and giving up a first round pick (laughs) so i i I think just because of that it's a it's a slam dunk um and honestly looking at each of the pieces in that trade the one that i was the not even really hesitant but the one that i thought was like the biggest loss was probably the Cali Clang uh, addition into that trade. Zach Aston Reese, I think that the, the, I missed the defense part of his game, but over the last few weeks as the, with the Penguins, he was in and out of the lineup, and he was doing nothing offensively, and I just don't see a way that he was going to be able to keep a roll with the Penguins if he's not going to produce offensively. I, I mean, 100% talent defense, but we've seen the Penguins' style and the way they play. If you're not going to be able to st- at least contribute somewhat offensively, then it's not going to be that big of a deal for him to go, in my opinion. And then Dom Simone, I mean, we're all fans of Dom Simone, but it is what it is. He he's, wasn't it, playing I mean, regardless. He's not, yeah, he, not so going to make the lineup in, when everybody's really healthy. Lineup. Exactly. And then second round pick, it's not a first. That, that's where I'm at. It's, it's not a first, so it's an absolute mm-hmm. win, especially the way that he's been playing. Hunter, you mentioned that overtime against the Sabres. If he would have scored that goal, I would have needed new pants. I mean, this dude, he he completely danced around everybody. And I think that shows off the skill set of him. But then, like today, I noticed the physicality of him. I think he's just a great addition for the Penguins and made this team a lot deeper.
2: He gives them the truculence that Brian Burke probably wanted um, in in an acquisition, that's for sure. You know, this team doesn't really hit a lot anyway. And I'm sure Brian Burke doesn't really like that. But you know what? Mike Sullivan does, so he can really... You know, he—that's why he's up in the press box. Um, (laughs) But you know, yeah, it's—it's a win no matter how you look at it. You know, I was also told that Ron Hextall stinks and doesn't make good moves. Okay,
0: okay. Yeah, everyone was uh, complaining because he didn't make a move until you know. Right? Well, look, all all credit—we don't want to disrespect Nathan Bailu or Bailu, however you pronounce it. Who cares? He's not going to play here. Uh, But all credit to him. um, Yeah, it looked like Hextall might not make. Another acquisition and Penn's fans were going nuts, and I was like, "Listen, wait it out." We know that a bunch of trades get announced right at three o'clock or shortly after, but yeah, and you know, you mentioned the the roster players coming off of and Zach and recent Thom yep. Simone. We knew that some way, somehow, we were going to have to see cap go out for it to come in, and Anaheim also had to retain on that to make it work. But again, in a seller's market to give up what they did, I didn't think it was a bad deal at all. And I think that the one thing that, you know, Tyler, I was going to touch on the the physical aspect of his game, because not, you know, people I don't think really think of him as that type of player. But the way that he gets in on the four check and, and does make some plays on the boards, you know, he's a willing guy to go to the, those dirty areas, too. And he's just a, a creative dude. in in very limited space he can handle in a phone booth we saw him turn that puck for or backhand forehand today and get robbed by nadelkovich one of the few good saves that he made in this game i yeah i it's hard not to get very excited for this guy i think the only question that i have is now (laughs) is he just here short term or are they going to look to retain him in free agency
1: do you want brian rust on the team that, that, I think that's where it gets tough because we we, we talked to – well, ju- let me touch on something that Hunter brought up first, and then I'll touch on this, is that Hunter brought up that, oh, I thought that Hextall doesn't make these trades. What's funny mm-hmm. is if if we're talking about Jim Rutherford, we would have known that they were going to try to ta- trade for Ricard Raquel. Oh, but yeah. So what we, what we saw like the week or two before the trade deadline is like, okay, the Penguins are interested in somebody from Vancouver. They're looking at somebody from Buffalo. We didn't hear a peep about Ricard Raquel or the Anaheim Ducks. And then like twenty minutes before we actually acquire him, they're like, oh, the penguins are also in on Ricardo Kell. Twenty minutes later, oh, he's a penguin. I, I just think that's crazy. And it, it just shows how like close to the vest that Hextall was keeping everything. Like we didn't hear anything about Ricardo Kell. Even I feel like in the past, I've brought up trading for Ricardo Kell. This year yeah. didn't even cross my mind until it happened.
2: Mm-hmm. Oh, well, you know, you know. Ron Hextall doesn't have media sit on his lap and just give him ice cream and all that stuff like Jim Rutherford used to do. I mean that's just the reality of the situation here. True. Um, you know, he's he keeps it a very low profile. He probably keeps only a handful of people um, in the loop with some of these acquisitions. Hell, when they got Jeff Carter last year, Bob McKenzie was the only one that brought that up. Mm-hmm. And about an hour later, oh, he's a penguin. Oh, Ron Hextall, we've been going at this for about a month or two. I'm like, oh. That did not get out by any um, of the Penguins reporters, no matter what platform it was, until you know, the Bobfather was able to um, confirm it by, by all of his sources. So um, it, it it is interesting there, and you know I like the point that you brought up. You know Tyler, especially with the, with you know it, it is a sellers market. Some of these prices were insane. Ben Sherratt goes for a first round pick plus, which is absolutely ridiculous. But then you have a player that's similar to him, like Robert Hag, goes for a six-round pick, and they're basically very similar players. Brandon Hagel goes for two first-round picks and a heck of a lot more. Um, these were not cheap prices. Um, it, it was some of these I've I've been you know looking at. Oh, I've been around for so many trade deadlines as a fan, and you have know, obviously been doing the podcast. This is probably the first year where I've been like, okay, these prices are a lot higher than normal. So the fact that Hextall was able to get Raquel for, you know, a second, two roster players and a prospect that, you know, I don't know when he's gonna be NHL ready, That's some pretty sh- shrewd business um from him. And again, you know, I know he wasn't like that in Philadelphia. I get it. But who's to say people can't change in a completely different situation here?
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know everything. That the biggest thing with him was he was never one to make that splash move in Philly, right? But who's to say that was his call as opposed to ownership's call and whatnot? I just think that he has full backing here, uh, and I think that it's a completely different team that he's ever had in Philadelphia. He knows this is, you know, a a last shot, if you will, for the core, um, to try to to maximize this window and get one more thing out of this. So, I don't know. I mean, Tyler, do you have anything else on Raquel? Because I want to ask Hunter about another player. Well, just
1: to answer the question you asked before we went on this, like the talking about tangent. (laughs) <laughs> yeah this little tangent we went on you asked like do we think that he comes back as a penguin like it's a contract oh, yeah, from them. yeah 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 yeah. and uh-huh. that's where i'm like because we talked about if we acquire one of these guys like say we were we had talked about before say they actually went out and got like brock besser that means mm-hmm. the end of brian Russ's tenure in a penguin uniform just because they can't afford both of those wingers because brian russ is going to deserve, deserve a payday he's just gotten better each and each year is Ricard Raquel the same way? Like, can we afford to pay both po- both of these guys? Like, what is the contract going to look like for Raquel? I know he hasn't played the same way that he has the past few years in Anaheim, but I also mm-hmm. brought up like, if you look, the last time he when he scored the he had sixty some odd points that season. Um, it was the 2018 19, or seventeen eighteen season, I believe, or was the last time they made the playoffs. The, the team got significantly worse after that. And I don't want to say that he shouldn't have kept up the the same pace. Like he shouldn't have fell off that much, but when your team is significantly worse, it is going to hinder your production as well. So how, how much are you going to be willing to hold that against Ricardo Raquel when it comes to contract talks? And then it also depends on how he's going to perform the rest of this regular season. And then how far we get into the postseason and what he does there that can also earn him money on a potential contract. So, I guess it's just an open-ended question. Like, what do we think that Ricard Raquel could be worth? And is is it possible to even have a world where you can pay him and uh, Brian Rust at the same time? Because Brian Rust is going to be what six million a year? I, I feel like even though he's a third more than that, I'd say yeah.
0: more. I'd say more if he wants. Yeah, I mean, if
1: he wants. But if he wants to stay in Pittsburgh, I can't see him like being able to get more than six million a year. But that's also I don't know what they're going to do with Raquel. If they do have a sign Ra- Raquel as well, I don't even think he can get six million a year. Yeah,
2: I don't think Raquel gets six uh, for the Penguins. Uh, you know, maybe four and a half to five, uh, maybe. Um, but, if they, you know, they, but also, they still have the two- if,
1: if if they win the cup, Raquel can basically ask for what he wants. That's basically yeah. how winning the cup works.
2: Yeah, that too. You know, I think it's honestly the same with Rust on the open market. I mean, he would definitely price himself out of Pittsburgh at that point. You know, that's honestly um if he wants it to be, that could be a Zach Hyman contract waiting to happen. I would not be surprised if someone like Ken Holland gives him whatever he wants or another general manager um out there. It's just it makes it that much tougher now um for the penguins with all the free agents they have coming. You know, the, the big priority is obviously Gino and Tanger. The Montreal rumors have started to heat up a lot more, I would say, these last uh, couple of weeks with his agent obviously running the show there. Um, Mm -hmm. But, you know, Raquel, again, you know, right now, I would probably say it's four and a half to five, but that can easily kick up a lot more Um, if he has a really good regular season, a great playoff run, and the Penguins go on another Stanley Cup run. Um, I don't know how these discussions are going to go. I don't know who's going to come back next year. I'm, I'm pretty confident saying that if Malkin will be back, I mean, that's probably about a 90% yeah. chance for me, everyone else. Um, I, I can't say for certain. That'd actually be a fun episode to do.
0: Um, you know, trying to predict that when we get like, right before free agency, yeah. which UFAs will be back with, with how many the Penguins have. Uh, th- I want to ask you about one more player. Uh, we haven't seen him in a long time. We've seen him only one time in the course of a very long time in a Penguins uniform. Hopefully we're going to get him back before the playoffs. Jason Zucker. OK, Do you, are you somebody that is still holding out hope for what this guy can bring to the lineup uh, when he does come back? So, like I said, he's played one game in recent memory for Penguins fans, and he scored two goals against Vegas before he exited again to have that core surgery. Um, I know Danny, when he was on here, said he's one of the very few people still holding out hope that this guy can bring something to the team. Where are you at with him, Hunter?
2: You know, I always love our nice Jewish boy Jason Zucker here. Um, I am a Jason Zucker believer, uh, to say the least, um, and I say that because, well, I am also a Jewish person, so I'm allowed to say that. Um, okay, anyway. all right. Okay. <laughs> I was make sure we didn't have to cut that out.
0: You yeah, passed the you, know, vibe you check. don't need
2: to cut that out um, on this show. But no, in, in all seriousness, I, I am still um, a believer in him. I know he makes a lot of money. I understand that he's been banged up for a lot of the season, but. Sports hernia injuries are no joke. Um, Cindy Crosby, I'm, I'm pretty sure, just went through one a couple years ago and he yep. had to miss a pretty similar amount of time. Um, but he's back to skating with the team. Um, I would not be surprised if he starts being full contact for tomorrow's practice. He's probably a week or two away from playing at this point. Um, and that's going to be huge, it's going to make their depth that much better. Um, full credit to Redeem Zohorna. And Brian Boyle, I think they they're they're fine players. I think Boyle has definitely surprised me this year. Yeah. Um, but same. when I watched him against the Rangers, I couldn't help but you know notice his lack of foot speed against a team that's pretty fast. And to me, I don't think you can have him play in a seven game series against them, especially Carolina with how they outskated the Penguins this year, Florida mm-hmm. and Tampa. Um, I think you need a player like Zucker in that can you know, forecheck aggressively and, you know, get to all those loose pucks and, and make something happen, whether it's on a playmaking ability or whether it's goal scoring. And, you know, he's pretty decent defensively um, as well. I think he is going to make a difference when he comes back. Again, I understand he makes 5.5 million. This would be it's the contractor. Yeah. yeah, <laughs> It would be a lot better if he made about half of that. But, you know, he can't control getting a sports injury um, during a season. It just, you know, stuff happens. The fact that he even played through it, it's nothing short of remarkable, even if it was for one game. Um, but I'm excited to see him back here, and I think in the next week or two. And I'm excited to see where's Mike Sullivan slots him. Does he put maybe a Zucker, Malkin, Raquel second line, maybe leave Rodriguez up there and you want him to slide Russ down? Or do you move Russ back up, put Rodriguez with Jeff Carter? They have a lot of options coming up. Brock McGinn oh. is also starting to skate. Um, coming back from his, um, I believe he has a cast on his wrist. I'm pretty sure that's a broken wrist, um, to say the least. I'm no doctor here, but um, he's getting closer. That means I'm, one of Zohorn and Boyle comes out too. What's your bottom six going to look like? You know, the Penguins, hopefully, knock on wood here, can really start cooking with a fully healthy lineup.
1: I actually uh, am happy that you brought up lineup situations because when we brought up Zucker coming back, I wanted to talk about what we think the lines will look like. And I actually made a mock lineup of what I would initially try with Zucker. And I'm including McGinn as well in here in the lineup. And so just let me know what you guys think. My top six, or maybe I should go bottom up. Actually, no, I'll go, I'll go top down. So my top six are Jake and Sid, but I have Zucker playing with those two because I agree with Danny. I think that Zucker's best time with the penguins is when he first got here and he was playing with Sid. And I think based off of him playing with Carter and playing with Malkin and playing with Sid, he plays the best with Sid. I just don't think he has much chemistry with the other two, and his play style works for the best with that one. But then you have the line that's there now with Raquel, Malkin, and Rust, and then Heinen, Carter, and Kapanen. Nope. And And then on the bottom line, you have Bluger centering it, and then you really can throw in basically McGinn on one of the wings, and then pick your poison of Zahorna, Boyle, or Rodriguez for the other winger. Because I feel like you can make a case for all of those. And I could also make a case for why Rodriguez, at least to this point, probably if the team's fully healthy, might not even be in a lineup. He hasn't been playing that great to me. So I, I feel like you could argue that Zahorna should be playing over him whenever this team is fully healthy.
0: I'll make the argument that Jeff Carter shouldn't be playing center and Rodriguez should be the third-line center over cap now uh, no
2: in all seriousness <laughs> um
0: carter I, I i i don't i still cap- like the shot listen carter i like the shot he's not good enough defensively and he can't transition the puck well enough to play center anymore that's why i would not have him playing center so if, if you what you would rather do is move bluder up to either way carter cannot i don't want carter playing center anymore so you got to figure out four centers that don't include carter for me to get on board with it and i'm thinking I, I, rodriguez is the one to do it
2: I still feel like the Penguins are a better team when they can run those three out, plus Bluger on the fourth line. I mean, don't get me wrong. I know Carter has not been the same this year compared to last year. The legs are catching up to him. Um, you know, m- maybe Danny can actually finally go to bed now because Carter is starting to actually.
0: Dan- Danny's the reason that I'm making this argument.
2: Yeah, you know, now, 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 the point that he made last year is maybe starting to come to a little more fruition because, you know, Carter obviously went on that massive heater, and that's was never going to hold because of how old he is now. Mm -hmm. Um, But I, I think Carter has been better as of late. You know, he, he definitely been struggling a lot more um, than I expected him to. I know the contract extension is uh, it's very, I think 50, 50 split with the fan base. Um, You know, I, I like Carter and Kapanen together. I know that I've seen some fans say they don't personally, you know, these, these last few games, you know, they've had some pretty good numbers together. Um, and mm-hmm. you know, speaking of Kapanen, he's been a completely different player ever since. You know, Carter basically just, you know, it was a very small moment during a game where he just he put his hand on his yeah. just his thigh and just said, you know what, you're going to come out of this. And you know, they've been a dynamic duo since. then. so I would keep them together and then figure Same. out what left winger you want next to them. You know, to your point, Tyler, I would stick Rodriguez there to start in the series, but if he continues to struggle, I would not hesitate to put one of Zohorna. Or Boyle in. I would probably have Zahorna as my next guy in and then Boyle um, after that. And that's not have a, that a, same
0: like, line, but I just have Rodriguez centering Carter and Capitan.
2: Okay. I w- I would be curious to see how he would do his center. I would not be surprised if Mike Sullivan starts to experiment more down the stretch here. I know they have a lot of tough games coming up. They have a gauntlet part two here with Colorado twice and Minnesota, the Rangers two more times, Washington, blah, blah, blah. But, you know, with how close they are to the playoffs and when they do inevitably clinch, you know, I, I think you are going to see him you know, actually, you know, mm. juggle up the lines a little bit. You know, you're already yeah. starting to see if getting Malkin and Cindy Crosby get five on five ice time together, which is something that Mike Sullivan really never did before this year. You know, is he going to make another move where he moves Rodriguez to center and Carter to the wing? Um, I'm glad that Carter is versatile. Um, it's, a, it's huge, especially for him. Um, I wouldn't mind seeing Rodriguez at center. Maybe that is the jolt that gets his game back on track because he's been in such a rut ever since that amazing streak back in December, January. Um, but, you know, I, I still think at this point, the Penguins are more deadly when they can run their usual center one through four centers. But, you know, if Rodriguez proves me wrong, um, it certainly wouldn't be the, the first time someone did. Um, that's for sure. But I'm excited that we're even having this conversation because, you know, knock on wood, there. They're literally this close to actually mm-hmm. don't a fully healthy lineup.
1: I'll just say, Smitty, I'll agree with you if that gets Rodriguez out of his rut. If he can play center well, and starts to yeah. actually be more offensive, because if he's not going to be, then he shouldn't be one of your centers, to be to be completely honest. I just went through his game log, and the he scored two goals in his last 33 games. Yeah if you're going to be a third line center and what we think that this offense should be, especially going into playoffs, you want at least the first three lines to be actively scoring. If he's going to center that line, he needs to be one of those guys that are actively scoring as well.
0: Yeah. The only thing that I would say though, is my problem with Carter isn't even much of an offensive problem. It's like I said, he's, he hasn't, and this is actually a bad argument to make right now because just on Sunday, Rodriguez was absolutely awful defensively. Um, But it's more about Carter's defense and his transition game that I think you can upgrade there from Carter to Rodriguez. But keeping – like I said, you're still keeping Carter and Kapanen together. It's just Rodriguez is the transition guy playing center and taking on more of that role for them. The reason that I think it wouldn't impact the offense as much is I think that you would have Carter and Kapanen be both as the trigger man before Rodriguez. So that makes him really the third option among the forwards to be that. You know, maybe I think I'm just making the case
1: that you could argue that Rodriguez – When fully healthy Might not even be in the lineup come playoff time At at least in this current state I
2: saw a similar argument I think it was Josh of The Athletic That said um, That Heinen might not be in the playoff lineup And that really, I was like, what? Mm. I'm like, he has 14 goals already this year and he included he Rodriguez anywhere. in there, which you know that's more okay to argue because he's been that bad, as Tyler said, two goals in his last 33 games. That's unacceptable. Zorn has yeah. been pretty good as of late. Boyle's been scoring a bit more than Rodriguez. But the Heinen thing, I was like, that's kind of weird because he's only two goals away from tying his career high. That mm-hmm. when he set with Boston, I believe that was 2018. Um, that's a player that, you know, honestly, if you, you can put him in the top six – I'm fine with that too because he's had pretty good chemistry with Evgeny Malkin um, on his left wing. So, um, if there is a player to argue right now that's in the lineup that you can bring out that's not Zahorna or Boyle, it's definitely Rodriguez. You know, he's been getting second power play unit time, which, you know, Mike Sullivan definitely trusts him a lot. But yeah, it baffles me.
1: It's kind of like having Marino on the second power play at that point as well. It's like, why wouldn't you have Matheson? Because one can score and one is not.
2: That, yeah. That's a great point too. I never, I do not understand why Mike continues. No, to do and it's that. It, for as much as I'm making this argument, I agree
0: that if I'm pulling somebody out of the lineup right now, that isn't Boy or Zahorna. It's it's Rodriguez. It would be Rodriguez definitely before Hine, and I'm confused about that. We were
2: having Hine. this conversation but, about him last year when they had Frederick Goudreau, who was being was yeah, really good, yeah. and he mm-hmm. was, I believe, in the game one lineup, and then I think he was taken out about halfway through that series. I think Rod. I want to say Rodriguez was out at that time, if I recall correctly, but he may have been. in I the thought lineup. They, I think
0: they played together in game one. Yeah, you I might, think Detro was centering, right. but Rodriguez played wing, and I don't know remember who their other winger. was. What, was it? Zucker? Zucker might have been the other winger with them.
2: No, Zucker, no, Zucker was in, played with Gino. I but think he was playing game one, that was that was still up with the team, and he may have been in and out.
0: I was I, just watching remember, the highlights of this game for some reason. No idea why. But I remember because Gaudreau scored their first goal in the playoffs yes, last year. Did. But uh, yeah, anyway, it'll be interesting. I'm just glad that we're having these conversations. So like I said, it's going to be uh, interesting down the stretch here to see what they do. Uh, my desk is actually wood. So this works. Knock on wood. Hopefully they are getting fully healthy before the playoffs. And uh, all right. But um, something that we can actually we're going to go to a break real quick. We're going to come back and talk very briefly about the Steelers. Uh, Hunter. Hunter. You are also a Steelers fan. Actually, for the spun, you did an interview with Steelers superstar, edge rusher, and defensive player of the year, T.J. Watt. And I don't know if a lot of people know that just they just think of Penguins when it comes to Hunter Hodies. But there it is. So maybe we can touch on that, too. But we'll be right back for Smitty, for Tyler's, and Hunter. Uh, this is a round of four and two on the D.K. Pittsburgh Sports Podcast. And that was- And welcome back to Around the 412 on the DK Pittsburgh Sports Podcast Network. I'm Smitty. That is Tyler. That is Hunter. Actually, on the screen, I have no idea where we're put at. So maybe it's Hunter and then Tyler, then me. I don't know. But um, let's talk about the Steelers because so they signed Mitch Trubisky in free agency. That's old news, right? But following along, if you're trying to piece together the puzzle here for the Steelers draft, a lot of pro days this week that involved the top quarterbacks of the draft class and Steelers have sent the house to them. Now, Pitt, you can expect because they're in the backyard. But go in to see Malik Willis at Liberty. You're not going to see anybody else at Liberty. They sent the house to Cincinnati to see Desmond Ritter. It doesn't look like that's going to be the case with Sam Howe only because NFL meetings are going on right now. But it's it looks like quarterback is still firmly on the Steelers radar.
1: Can someone please make that make sense to me? I thought the whole point of signing Mitch Trubisky was set that, so that you didn't have to put as much stress on the didn't quarterback. You didn't have to. P- didn't ha- that's the point. You didn't have to, but why are they still? I'm not saying Mitch Trubisky is going to be their quarterback of the future. Maybe he turns out to be, but I'm not saying he's going to be, but I thought the whole point of bringing someone in like that was so that you didn't have to worry about what is happening at 20. You just look at the best player available, and you just – select who you want among those groups. I didn't think we were going to have to worry about quarterback anymore. I'll be completely honest. And these scenarios that people keep bringing up about trading up for quarterbacks still, I'm like, why would they do that? They don't need to do that. And this, that was the whole point of bringing someone in. And so you don't have to worry about that. Like everybody's saying, like, would you want to trade up for Kenny Pickett? Would you want to trade up for Malik Willis? Would, would you want to take Desmond Ritter? No. At 20? No. Would you want to take Matt Corral? No. Why oh, is it that's, that's what I forgot like some so many people I after the Trubisky like it, there was like not much quarterback talk for a week that wasn't outside of Mitch Trubisky basically and then recently it's back to okay which quarterback are the Steelers taking which scenario of quarterback do you like best do you like trading up for Malik Willis do you like taking Kenny Pickett It's like I don't like either of these I don't want any of that, any of these. The whole point of bringing in Mitch Trubisky was that you didn't have to worry about a quarterback in the first round this year. And I feel if they take one at 20, that's fine. Why trade up for one? I personally don't understand that. That was the whole thing for bringing in Mitch. Is it it relieved that burden a little bit? I I just can someone one of either of you make sense of what is going on to me?
0: No, you're absolutely right in that it it made it so that they didn't have to. However, this is just the sense that I get from a lot of conversations with people. Malik Willis and Jordan Davis are Mike Tomlin's two favorite players in this draft class.
1: I mean, I feel like that is is pretty evident by, one, the way he talks about Jordan Davis, and two, the way he looks at Malik Willis.
0: (laughs) So, even though the Steelers, they don't have to make a move for a quarterback— I think that there's a specific quarterback here that they would love to have in Pittsburgh, even if he can't start right away and it is Mitch Trubisky at first. The, 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 so by yeah, no means fine. do they have to. Maybe – and you know and what? It, it's The Steelers might not meet the asking price to move up to get it, and if that's the case, then it doesn't happen. But I think that it gives them the ability to to explore it. I think the way that they've attacked free agency has been perfect for what they want to do. Could they sit at 20 and just see who the best available player is? Sure. But with also with attacking everything else other than, at this point, strong safety and a third wide receiver, um, th- they've they've filled everything else. They've addressed the offensive line. I think that they got a really good linebacker, Miles Jack. I think that they've done some other good thing. They br- they, they're running it back with a Keller Witherspoon and bringing in Levi Wallace, who, as much as I love Joe Hayden, is an upgrade on Joe Hayden at this point in his career. Um, you know, I think that they've addressed this perfectly to give them the ability to do whatever they want in the draft, and I think one of those options that's on the table is
1: picking a quarterback. So I can be more on board with that if you are still at 20, if you're trading up for a quarterback, there's only two that I'm trading up for, and possibly only one that would be Malik Willis. And I don't think you're going to be able to trade up high enough to get him. And even with the scenarios that I've seen in some of these mock drafts that are coming out, trading up for Matt Corral at like 12, trading up for Desmond Ritter. Why would you need to trade up for Desmond Ritter when he's not even a first round quarterback? Like, who has him I, I honestly, as a first round quarterback?
0: It's. It's starting. To, it's starting to get some more smoke, especially because I think with with what he brings to the table, you really want that fifth year. I think it's like it's the same situation to me as like when Lamar came out, where the Baltimore traded back into the first round, the very last pick of the first round to secure that fifth year option. and I think that that's about where Desmond Ritter's going to go. I think whether it's Detroit sticking at thirty two because they took a edge rusher at two. I could see him going to Detroit at number thirty two or if it's another team coming up to thirty two and Detroit trading out, I think that that's like a perfect spot because you're getting that fifth year option on him.
1: but but some of these mock drafts have people trading up to like twelve. Why? It makes and no sense. That has has
2: um, Willis going number two to the Lions. I was yeah. like, I, honestly, not see- I believe I believe he's
0: the betting odds favorite right now to go he, to number two.
1: Like the two quarterbacks that are obviously him and Pickett are like the two like darlings of this draft compared to everybody else. I feel like those two are not getting past eight, in my opinion. Like the Falcons are at eight before that, you have you've got like Carolina, I, I think New Carolina's York twice. Carolina's got to
0: take one of them, right? I mean,
1: yeah, Carolina, New York twice. Houston that just traded Deshaun Watson and Detroit who just sucks. Any of those can guys can take quarterbacks. There's no way that those two quarterbacks get past even eight. even Seattle. So you have at to trade nine? into the top eight to pick either of those guys. How much draft capital are you picking it, giving up to do so? Yeah, I, it just doesn't. I think make it's sense more than the bush.
0: Me. I think it's more than the bush trade. Just because you're talking about a quarterback year and getting into a bidding war with other teams. I think yeah. you look at like Seattle at nine, but I'm not saying for them to stick at nine. Like it wouldn't cost as much for them to move up. Obviously, as a team trying to come up from twenty, and Seattle needs a quarterback. You know, they're probably been the most mentioned team with for for Baker Mayfield after trading Russ. But I. I think that they really like some of the quarterbacks in this class. They had, from what I saw, a great conversation with Matt Corral. Everybody's been linking them to Malik Willis. I think they take a quarterback uh, within those top 10 picks. So I'm with you. I think those two both go in the top
1: 10. And I, I just think for the other ones, whether it is Matt Corral, Desmond Ritter, trading up for that is absolutely insane. Like I said, Malik Willis is probably the only one that I would actually trade up for. And you're not going to be able to trade into the top eight probably. And with Malik Willis, you probably have to trade up into the top five potentially to get him. I just don't see it happening. It doesn't make sense to me for any other quarterback. So the whole quarterback talk for the past week, week and a half on Steelers Twitter is completely insane to me based off of what we do with Mr. Bisky and what just the scenarios that are being brought up. And Hunter, I'm sorry that I'm just talking. I actually you haven't want to even ask got hunter a word a in but i want to yeah, ask hunter a question
0: i, I want okay, you to answer for too. It, i'll shut up <laughs> i want to start with hunter on this but i want both of you to answer do you get the sense now i'm not saying that this is the case but and tom and he even talked about this openly loves going to pro days loves going to these dinners and talking to guys but it's it doesn't seem like i mentioned malik willis is like the one that they like the most but with as much time as he's spending with as much quarterbacks I, i'm afraid that Like fans are starting to think that the Steelers will just take whatever quarterback happens to fall in their lap. Like it doesn't matter if it's the guy that they're in love with. And I think that they people just need to realize like this is Tomlin, this is the Steelers. They have a plan. It's not just whatever quarterback falls to us. If their guy's not there, they're not going to take him.
2: Um, I I would agree with that. Um, no, and firstly, I am just so. I cannot wait for the NFL draft to be over so that we can stop talking about the quarterback situation because it has been a nonstop thing for like the last year um, yeah. at this point. Um, secondly, um, you know, if Malik Willis is not there at 20, and he very likely will not be there at this point. Um, I-, I would say maybe they could trade up to number 10 to get him like they did for Bush. Even then, it's probably not good enough because you, t- you said Tyler – Carolinas before then, they could easily take him. I mean, uh, I'm not sure where Atlanta picks, but Atlanta's I'm pretty sure they are. Eight. Oh, is it? Oh, I'm trying to remember where Carolina was. Carolina's
0: six. six. Five, uh, yeah, I Well,
2: yeah. I apologize on that. Um, those are two teams right there that badly need quarterbacks. Mm-hmm. Seattle's obviously up there too. Though they could trade for Baker Mayfield. I know you guys were just talking about that. Um, I just don't know how this, how high the Steelers will be willing to go to get him. And then, you know, Kevin Colbert already said today, well, we didn't want to trade draft capital to go out and trade for a veteran quarterback. Are you going to go out and trade draft capital for a guy who you think might be the franchise, Malik Willis, who is – Great point. I mean, the quarterback class next year I'll say is better than this one. Yeah, you Bryce Young that's going to be ready to go. CJ Stroud is going to be ready. And, and, and I would throw – I think Phil Jerkovic out of
0: Boston College is probably right there for QB1 in this class.
2: He's he yeah, he's good. Um he he's played trust me, you know, he's played Virginia Tech a couple times and that guy can sling it. Um mm-hmm. you know, he's played on some bad BC teams, but he's he torched the Hokie secondary um multiple times throughout the games that I saw. Um but if Willis is not there, I really think then it becomes best player available for the Steelers in my opinion. Now, Jordan Davis I, so. I don't think he's going to be there either in, in my opinion. So where do you go at that point? There's really not too many, I guess, glaring glaring needs other than maybe wide receiver. But do, you, do they go wide receiver in round one? I don't. Know I'm almost about hoping.
0: That. I'm almost hoping that there's like a weird quarterback run, you know, where four guys do go before twenty, and like a Chris Olave somehow falls to twenty because Olave that's actually a receiver
2: would, yeah. that they met
0: with. So
2: him I mean, and there's and some Garrett interest. Wilson, there. Him yeah. and or Garrett Wilson would be a lot of fun. But, that's um,
1: also one thing I'll bring up is when it comes to the quote-unquote Steelers way, and I understand like we need to find a franchise quarterback, but if every year they're committed to being competitive, look at your wide receiver room right now. If you have one of those wide receivers that you guys were just mentioning or Matt Corral or Desmond Ritter, or Desmond Ritter at 20 – you better be taking one of the wide receivers over either of those quarterbacks. Yes. If you're, t- if you're a better committed team to making you a better football team and staying competitive as the Steelers always tried to do, that is your best case scenario is taking the wide receiver over any of those quarterbacks besides Malik Willis. Cuz your wide receiver room is empty right now.
0: Yep. I think Cody White's probably wide receiver 3 right now.
2: Kevin, yeah, Kevin Colbert. I saw that comment while I was um, working today. You know, I think one of my coworkers had a story on it, and it was, you know, he said like, "Oh, we have almost all of our starters for next year." I'm like, "You have a wide receiver number three starter already? Um, if so, um, is it the, the new kick returner that's going to be wide receiver three? Is it Cody White? Is it someone else? I mean, I think I saw from an, a couple other places that they could maybe get Jarvis Landry on a bargain, but I don't think that's going to happen at all. Um, you know." They have to draft someone, a wide receiver. I think if you don't have a receiver within your first two picks of of a mock, I think you're probably doing it wrong, in my opinion.
1: I just uh, started a one-round mock draft on the Draft Network, as we're speaking, (laughs) and I just drafted Garrett Wilson, wide receiver, Ohio State, at 20. So I it's think Craig's better game. than Olave. I, I would I would love that scenario, honestly. Him, Olave, I'd I'd be happy with As either As an of those Ohio guys.
0: State fan, I I agree. Garrett Wilson is my overall number one receiver, though. So
1: yeah, yeah. But even other guys like Traylon you, Burks, and- I think you could make an argument that based off of the moves that they've done in the off season and the lack in the bear in the wide receiver room, that two of the first three picks could be wide receiver, depending on who's there.
2: I wouldn't be surprised by that. Either. I feel like they. are oh, definitely to, drafting too. They definitely. There's Pickens um, yeah. from Georgia out there too, who is ridiculously good. Um, mm-hmm.
0: he's probably not, man, if like, not, like for, you, not for injury, so, I think he goes somewhere in that you know twenty five to yeah. thirty two range at the back end of round one. So, but like,
1: say they get like Chris Olave in the first round. It, like, what if like Christian Watson's there in round two? Do you consider taking both back back to back back? because that's the glaring need? Honestly, Mm -hmm. besides quarterback, like long term, immediate now, wide receivers your glaring need. The two first first couple rounds you could see multiple wide receivers taken by the Steelers. They need
2: a safety, but I feel like they're just going to sign one at this point. Um, uh, Cough, Tyron Matthew, please. Um, (laughs) um, He's just building
1: suspense. He's already signed. We know that. (laughs) <laughs> I
2: know, yeah, yeah. All, all the insider accounts are just tweeting at this point, but you know, outside of that, and I, I again, I think that's probably going to be filled by a free agent, even if it's not mm-hmm. Tyron Matthew. Um, yeah. I have a name. That you, I look think at, you just look at the team and there's really, most of the team is pretty set. It's kind of weird, you know, especially if Stefan to does come back next year. I really hope that he does. Um mm-hmm. I'm, I'm really rooting for that guy. If he doesn't, then you have another glaring need, I think, at, you know, on your defensive line, and I think this oh, class yeah. is pretty decent um, at that position. But you know, linebacker, I think you're pretty good. Maybe they could use another cornerback at some point, um, but I
1: mean, it's mainly right
2: now wide receiver, in my opinion. That's just they they got us dressed that early and often, and I trust their track record with it, with how many great ones they've produced.
1: And even before the signings, the offensive line in general, but mainly interior offensive line, I think yeah. was a glaring issue as well. Yeah. W- with their signings they did, I don't see that as pressing as it was two weeks ago.
2: They did a pro bowler. James I,
0: Daniels, Tyler, I have no I idea why Chicago Tyler
2: Before they didn't do anything. Yeah. Um, no, but listen,
0: I, this is where I want to wrap this up, though. To Hunter's point about really like wide receiver is the one position that you can count on the Steelers – being able to identify in the draft and develop. Is that, though, a case for them not drafting one as early as we're talking about? Because we know that they can find them.
1: That could be a case. I mean, they've, they've shown whether it's round one, round two, or round six, Antonio Brown, they can find wide receiver talent. But I, I I think a lot of it will depend on which guy falls to them at 20. Like, if Garrett Wilson is there at 20 for some for some reason, you need to take him. Yeah, I don't know uh, what's
0: happening between now and the draft to make that it, happen. But if, hey, if they
1: decide to take somebody over like Chris Olave, depending on who they pick outside of him, I, I can I can see it. But it, it just really depends on who's there in the first round. But I, I think no later than round three, you have had to already have taken a wide receiver.
0: Yep, I agree. I think yeah. day two, you definitely see one. Take. For sure. I would be surprised if that's the way that they go in round one. But the only reason I brought that up is because they did officially meet with Chris Olave, who's going to go in round one. So there, there's at least like some consideration there with a guy that could be in that range that, you know, they're checking some boxes there. But um, you guys get anything else? This has been some great conversation. As I said, a lot of people probably didn't know Hunter Hodes does stuff other than talk about the Penguins on Locked On <laughs> Penguins.
1: Yeah, we, we we talked about it a lot before we even started recording. You pretty much yep. cut roll right about anything.
0: <laughs> I, I I think that he has two articles up since we started recording. Oh, <laughs> yeah. I, just I was them. just
2: multitasking, over, <laughs> uh, writing a bunch of other stuff. But no, no. I, ever since I started this, I do so much NFL now that I feel like I'm almost like, I don't know, Adam Schefter Jr. at this point. No, I'm
0: <laughs> but uh, no, Hunter, where can everybody find your stuff?
2: Yeah, you can follow me on Twitter at Hunter Hodes. The show's Twitter is at LO underscore Penguins. The Locked on Penguins podcast is on Apple, Spotify, and now YouTube. Um, We're at at almost 150 subscribers as I push for my short-term goal of 200. You know, Obviously, I have more bigger long-term aspirations. And then you can read my um, everyday work on thespun.com, which is now owned by Sports Illustrated. Fantastic stuff. What is it owned by Sports Illustrated
0: at this point? Us. That's about it. Uh, but uh, other than that, Hunter, we can't thank you enough for joining us. We'll have to make it happen again for sure uh, when the playoffs roll around. So thanks, Hunter, for coming on, for Smitty, for Tyler. Be sure to subscribe to the channel. Leave us a like. Throw us any questions that you guys want uh, to have answered next week. Leave us a comment, all that good stuff. We'll talk to you guys next week. Until then, bye-bye. Bye-bye.